you know, as a, you know, gay, queer little boy, I like really couldn't like feel like I was coming out of my shell. Like I chameleoned in every part of my life. Like I blended in. I didn't like ruffle the feathers. You know, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And I feel like this world of trail running opened up this whole umbrella of like who Ryan could be and like who Ryan could express himself to be in this avenue of long distance running. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit to lane five and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. I've learned it isn't nearly as hard as you think. Freedom Solar Power makes it simple. They provide a turnkey solution that is focused on educating their customers on the experience from installation to everyday use and savings. They ensure you have all the information needed to make sure going solar is right for you. From firsthand experience, it makes sense both financially and for the environment. With no down payment required, solar not only adds immediate value to your home, but it's also great for the environment and might even provide immediate savings, not to mention the year-end tax benefits, a credit of 26% this year. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, and there are plenty of other great options nationwide. This episode is brought to you by Revel Race Series. Revel is an incredibly fast and remarkably beautiful series of full and half marathons that take place in the most scenic U.S. locations. All the races feature a fast downhill slope and spectacular scenery. Their next race takes runners from the canyons of the Wasatch Mountains to the foothills of Salt Lake City, Utah, on September 10th for the 10-year anniversary of Revel Big Cottonwood. Register at runrevel.com with code FTLR for $10 off. This episode is brought to you by Gooder. Gooder has the slickest shades around for only $25 and $35. They don't slip or bounce, and they stay on my face way better than more expensive sunglasses do. If you'd like to support me in the show, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooders and head over to gooder.com and get 15% off your entire order with the code FTLR. That's 15% off at gooder.com, code FTLR. Your face will thank you. And welcome back. I have Ryan Montgomery joining me on the podcast today. Ryan, thanks for taking some time to chat. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Good to chat with you. Of course. So the first question of this podcast is always a tough one. Who is Ryan? <laughs> um, Ryan is a lot of things. Um, I would say Ryan is a runner. Um, Ryan uh, has a day job and has like a professional job outside of running. Ryan has a family and a brother. Ryan, I, I would say like my core identity, I would say, um, you know, is truly like being a an ultra trail athlete um, while also like thinking about the other intersectionalities of myself, such as like a queer person and a gay person. Um, so yeah, a lot of different things. And right now you're not running. And <laughs> this so as true. someone, as someone who that was the first, one of the first, so the first thing you said was Ryan is a runner. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you're grappling with identity when you can't run, right? Like we hear all these stories of people who, get injured or they experience burnout or they have some low. And then we hear these triumphant stories afterwards, like, oh yeah, it was so hard and I'm so glad I did it. I'm a better person from it. And 
but like we so infrequently hear about people talking about that in between. And I don't want to say the lower points, but when you haven't, you know, broken through that barrier yet. So I'm super curious, like where where is your head at today with with that? I mean, any type of injury is hard. If you identify as an athlete, it's hard to be injured because you can't do the thing that you love. So I would say during like the past couple months, because um, there's a couple things that happened. Like one, I got PRP on my heel for my plantar fasciitis. And then literally four weeks, which was like the I was cleared to run mark. Um, that was the day I got hit by a car on my bike. And then I got shoulder surgery. <laughs> so I, I have, and then I can't run for six more weeks after that point. So it's just been a really long summer of injury. And yeah, it's been so, so hard because this is the time of the year that I just want to be up in the mountains. However, I would say something that is really important to me as an athlete, um, especially one who does it on a professional sense, is that I really try to keep my eggs in many different baskets in terms of who Ryan is and what he does. Because I also have a day job. I also work on all these different projects in the advocacy world of my sport. I also you know, have a very fulfilling personal life with my boyfriend. So there's so many different parts of me that I've been able to lean into during a time of injury when I haven't been able to like allocate that time to running because, you know, long distance running, trail running takes a significant amount of time. So I feel like I've just been like shifting my time into other things, which has really helped a lot. The first episode of the podcast was with Ben Rosario and Ben talked about the line, I'll st- I remember it. He said, if running is all you have, I feel bad for you. <laughs> and he was talking about for his professional athletes, it's so critical for this exact reason and more to have more than just running. And it's easy to say, and everyone's probably like, yeah, that makes sense. I totally believe it and feel the same way. But we we devote, you know, some people are running 8, 10, 14, 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And to just have that taken away that's not the time to find value in these other things or or focus on other things or how am i going to fill my time so it's cool to hear all the all the the ways or as you put it your eggs aren't in one basket yeah um was that by design or is that sort of who you are you like to have a a lot going on i would say my personality is definitely i like to have my hands and my toes dipped into a lot of different things um i'm like very I'm a very type A achiever type person. So I'm always like working on projects um, in different parts of my life. And so something I've just learned over the, you know, 18 years of life so far, sorry, 28 years of life so far. I'm like, well, I'm not 18. Why did I say 18? <laughs> 28. Everything um, before 10 was a warm-up. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in like the 28 years of existing, I've just learned that I like the ebb and flow of different activities in life. And so like that's number one. And then number two is I've been watching a lot of different athletes um, over the course of my lifetime too. And it's just interesting when I look at other athletes who, you know, run or who are cyclists or triathletes full time. And then like when their athletic career ends, it's like, well, what do I do now? And they find themselves like doing athlete marketing at like some brand. And I'm like, that is just like such a, you know, I, I can't speak for a lot of those individuals, but I just feel like they could be doing so much more and thinking about other like avenues of their life aside from the athlete of who they are. So, um, so yeah, I'm very like cognizant of that. Let's rewind a few years and quite a few miles. Um, do you remember <laughs> why you went for your first run? I have this memory of before I identified as a runner. I remember because I was living in Alaska in middle school. This is um, in sixth or seventh grade. And my middle school would go for a camp out every year. So the whole middle school would go and camp out. This hopefully tells you that I went to a very, very small school in Alaska. <laughs> and I just remember at that campground, like running around the campground, 
I don't remember what motivated me to like want to do that because there was no incentive. But I just like remember like running through the trees of the campground and like feeling like a sense of release and like connectivity to um, like my surroundings and like feeling a connectivity to like my body too and like my mind. And so back then I couldn't articulate that, but I like remember those feelings. So I would say, I don't know what the motivation was for that, but I just remember those feelings. So now we fast forward a few miles and years, maybe. When did it become something that you started taking seriously? Define serious. Like, does that mean like signing up for a team or does that mean like I'm going to like devote a lot of time to this sport? Um, having some sort of goal. So training for a race... Or, or wanting to be a part of a group or something like that? I would say it was that next year because that's when I signed up for cross country. And then in middle school, you know, you run the, what is it, the 3K? Um, I can't remember the distance. It's like a mile and change. Um, we did the mile and I always, I always pretended to puke so I didn't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I don't know, there was like a sense of just like I love the feeling it gave to my body and my head. And I also am a very competitive person by nature. Um, so I think I realized like, oh, this is something that I'm good at. And I also like how it makes me feel. So maybe this is something I'm going to like explore more. So I would say middle school, that's when it started. And then it got bigger and bigger as I got into high school, especially. And when, when did you realize that you might be pretty good at it? <sighs> I think that crux moment was in high school. Um, like I was a decent 5K runner in high school, but I wasn't like competitive enough to run like D1 athletics. Um, but I like ran a solid low 16, you know, 5K um, in high school. But I think something that was a big, big experience for me, a pivotal moment in my life was I applied for this program with this nonprofit. The nonprofit is called Impossible too possible. Um, and <laughs> I know, right? And they take these youth ambassadors and they take them on these expeditions in like random parts of the world. So here, here's Ryan, who's 15 years old. I hear about this program because one of my ex-teachers told me about it. And they're like, hey, Ryan, you run. Like, you should apply for this. And they literally take these youth on expeditions where they run a marathon a day for like a week or five days. Um, and so logical Ryan, who is like very type A and thinks he can do whatever, he's like, okay, I sign up for this and I register. And I go through the application process and I end up getting selected for this, <laughs> this, this trip. And we go to Bolivia. This is in 2011. And it was me and about like four other youth ambassadors from around North America and Canada. And we run a marathon a day for five days. And I've literally have never done anything like this before. And in that experience, I just, I learned so much about how the human body can do so much more than what like, we mentally think it can do. I learned how my body adapted over those days. Like I was very sore day two. By the time I got to day four, I was actually like less sore. So I learned about how the body adapts. I heard stories from the guides on this expedition who are like these crazy ultra runners. And that's when I learned about bad water and then I wanted to do bad water. So it was just like a big moment where I'm like, what is this world of ultra trail running? And I want to do it. <laughs> and you were in high school at the time? Yeah, I was. I just had turned 16. So what did it feel like unlocking this new world that could be possible? It... Um, that's a good question. I feel like it unlocked this whole world of possibilities to me because, you know, I grew up in a very, 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 very conservative upbringing. Um, and, you know, as a, you know, gay, queer little boy, I like really couldn't like feel like I was coming out of my shell. Like I chameleoned in every part of my life. Like I blended in. I didn't like ruffle the feathers. You know, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. And I feel like this world of trail running opened up this whole umbrella of like who Ryan could be and like who Ryan could express himself to be 
in this avenue of long distance running. So it really was exciting to think about like, oh, I'm going to run Badwater one day. I'm going to be like that person or I'm going to, you know, explore to see, you know, what I'm going to learn through this journey. So like my mind started going down that rabbit hole. I'm curious about something you said there where trail running became the place where you could be Ryan, essentially. Mm-hmm. We've had conversations. I've had conversations with other people who have shared or some people have shared that they feel that there needs to be more diversity and representation. And I'm curious, your your entry point into trail and ultra running and the ability to feel like yourself. I'm interested in the... like. You were a chameleon prior, and now you're you're really you. Mm-hmm. Was that a hard process for you, or did you see other people, you know, being them, as you'd say, or was it I'm going to be this because this is who I am, and I want other people to see it? Um, no, it's definitely not a moment where I had a clear picture of who who Ryan wanted to be and needed to be. It was this constant evolution of learning and growing and having experiences that have shaped me to be who I am today. Um, But I know I've always wanted to be, you know, I always knew that I was not myself like growing up and I wasn't like totally in my own skin. And I feel like the more experiences I've had outdoors and the more experiences I've had trail running in particular, I feel like there was another layer that like Ryan, like, pulled back in the the like the the gay Ryan onion <laughs> to use an analogy. <laughs> and there was actually like a pivotal moment that I remember um when I was living in Utah because I went to Brigham Young for university. And this was like 20, I think it was like 2015. I this is like now I'm you know a bit more mature. I've had all these other life experiences, but I'm still like truly not out and I'm not truly in my own skin yet. And I go for this trail run, my first trail run in Utah. And I go with a bunch of friends whom I didn't really know well. I just like met them on the spot. And we go on the, this 20 plus mile trail run in Park City. And I felt like I remember like dancing on the trail. I remember like having fun. I remember like these people whom I never like knew, like were essentially celebrating me and, you know, welcoming me in like this outdoor environment. And it was like this moment where I learned how like trail running was truly going to be the catalyst for me to like truly be who Ryan was. And so like now fast forward to 2022 and, you know, trail running has been like the defining activity for myself to be this like queer, you know, loving, like gay person in the outdoors. And I feel like it's allowed me to truly like come out as my whole self. And, um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Like think about you, Jonathan, like when you're out and outside, you feel like probably your best self. Um, I know a lot of people that are listening to this, you know, as runners, they feel like their best selves when they're in the outdoors. Um, And so the same thing is true for like, I feel like queer people because you've been so marginalized the whole life. And it's like the outdoors is like that catalyst to like allow you to be yourself. And now you're running camps and you're doing all this cool stuff to help others have that same experience. So how did that come about? Um, Are you talking about the out trails like camp that I'm organizing later this year? Yep. Yeah, I... um, you know, I have learned a lot through my current boyfriend who does a lot of event production for the LGBTQ community for his career. And I've just have always wanted to create more queer community in trail running, but it's hard. It's like there, this is new territory. I've never built anything before, essentially. And I've never built a community um, other than the community that follows me online. So it was scary to think about, you know, creating something. But ultimately, like what it came down to is I recognized that there was a huge need. Um, I, I remember polling people on my Instagram and just getting a gauge to see like who actually follows me, like how big is this community that follows me and like what is it that they want the most. And I remember getting hundreds of responses of people who identify as queer and they're all saying that they want queer community in the outdoors, um, specifically like running events who identify as runners. And so I realized there was this huge need. And so 
something that I have thought about was, well, I can use my privilege as a person who you know, has these relationships with all these brands and partners to create this really cool experience. And so I ended up founding this, you know, entity called OutTrails to be like the face of this community and working with my brands and this organization called Aspire Adventure Running that puts on running trips. Um, we pull together... Um, a huge budget. Like it is amazing to support. I've gone like over, you know, $20,000 worth of like sponsorship money for this. Wow. Um, and we've been able to actually today I'm announcing to the scholarship winners, um, we're announcing 20 full registration scholarships for cool. a three day running trip um, in October. So just really cool, you know, grassroots like organizing and you know getting people in the outdoors um so i'm really excited to see what this is going to look like so as someone who feels like you're becoming or you've become yourself through trail running what does it feel like to know that you're going to potentially have that impact on introducing someone else to this community and potentially have the ability to do the same thing like have have you stopped to think about the impact that this can create, or is it just like, this is something I'm going to do because it's awesome and necessary? My motivation is truly the latter. Like, I just recognize that this is just a great opportunity and need in the community. So I'm like really excited to provide that. I'm, I don't really look at myself as like someone who people look up to or someone who they view as like an example because. I don't know this playbook. I'm figuring this out as much as everyone else is. But that's aspirational, uh, <laughs> right? It's just like put yourself out there and see see what can happen. It's true in in sport, it's true in a career, it's true in, you know, every arena. It's like the I think the most impressive attribute is curiosity and like how like what can happen if kind of a thing. And I think this is the value that comes from the skills and characteristics I can bring to the table because I'm like such a driver and so strategic in like how I operate every day. And something that my boyfriend has taught me, you know, over the past, you know, year plus that we've been dating is like, Ryan, you just got to like freaking do this. You, like you just got to like start. And because my mind, like I have to like think about all Plan the different entities. Yeah. I'm like a planner and I have to think about the politics and I have to think about who's involved. And I'm like very strategic in that way, but I realize like I just need to be like a driver in this moment. And so I just started like having conversations and I started pitching the idea. And I'm like, I don't know what this looks like yet, but this is the vision and this is the impact that this is going to have. Like, do you want to be on board? And like over time, we just like were creating this as the ship was essentially sailing. And, um, you know, here we are today. And, you know, we are going to have you know, 45 plus people in this running retreat. And we have like all the support and we're going to have amazing, you know, coverage at this in terms of video and photo. And I'm just like, it's all coming together. And if I had like spent years planning this out, it would have been like years down the road before this happened. But I think just by just acting in the moment and just like figuring it out, without like having any clear plan, I think it actually helped out in that regard to make it happen this year. So I'm a big fan of Shark Tank and I love watching <laughs> people share their ideas and like solve problems. Mm -hmm. And what's clear over and over and over again is when you're solving a problem versus like creating a plan and executing on a plan, if you have a legitimate problem that you're solving or an opportunity that you're, that you're leveraging, like the details fill themselves in. And it's easy for me to say as someone who's not type A and who's like not a, not a planner. And, you know, I've, I've like figured out how I'm getting from LA to San Diego while I'm already on the trip kind of a thing. Um, but like that's how this podcast came about. I was just having conversations with people and I was like, this is awesome. Like I need to share this. I didn't have any clue what I was doing. And Three years in, like we're 200 plus episodes in. And it's, again, it's like, I didn't create a business plan. There's no, there's no, like, this is what the deliverable I want to have. It's like, here's an opportunity. Let's get after it. Um, so I think it's an awesome lesson that you learned and 
you're able to share. And then, you know, 45 people get to benefit or more than 45 people get to benefit, but 45 people get to attend yeah. and, and experience the, the output of that, you know, hey, here's an opportunity. Let's, let's get after it. Yeah. And I'm like hoping this is, sorry, I am like such a like corporate consultant and I like hate the language I use sometimes, but I hope this is like such a good use case for how we can do this on a larger scale in the future. Um, And hopefully other people can learn from this. Like, I don't need to be the only one that's doing this. Like, I hope other people are, you know, hopefully watching and seeing that this could be like a good model for other things too. The land and expand model. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back on that offline. Um, enough uh, corporate jargon for, for one podcast. Um, let's talk more about, about your running. So you ran 16 low in high school, and now you run for 16 plus hours sometimes. <laughs> Tell me about that evolution. So... Something that happened also the year before that running expedition in Bolivia is I always wanted to do long distance for some reason. Um, maybe it's because I follow like people the 5K? online. No, like farther. So this is so I'm a freshman in high school, and um, I ended up flying back to Alaska, which is because I had just moved from Alaska. And I just go, I fly back to Alaska my freshman year of high school to go run a marathon, like the local marathon that I had seen and, you know, participated in, um, in a relay prior. And so I run the full marathon that year. And again, like, it was just like, I wasn't fast at all. I think I ran it in like four plus hours, but it was just like another, like, catalyst in like the running bucket for like, oh, I want to do this. Like this was so epic. Like I learned so much about myself. Um, I like, I want to do this more. So I think like truly in the back of my head, I had always had plans to like go farther and farther. And then when I learned about this ultra running world, I was like, whoa, I'm totally doing that, you know, later in life. Later in life as in college. (laughs) Why? What were you drawn to? I was really drawn to, I mean, aside from, aside from like the adventure, it was like the ability to experience all of these emotions and highs and lows because I got a flavor of that in that marathon I ran because I was so not prepared for it. And like hearing these stories of people running 100 miles, I was like, whoa, that person went from barfing to rolling an ankle to sprinting the last 15 miles. Like what a crazy experience of emotions and just like internal, I don't know, feelings. I like, I want to, what is that experience like? Like, what is that like? I want to know, especially because I feel like I have been like so compromised of like emotions my whole life. I think like maybe that was the draw of like, Whoa, this is if I want to like learn about life, that's this is like the opportunity to do it. <laughs> it's like running the hundred miles through a forest. Um, so yeah, like fast forward to 2017 was my first hundred mile race. Um, I had run a couple ultras before that, but in terms of hundred miles, that was like my first one. And yeah, I definitely got the the roller coaster of emotions. And I think I ran it in um, like 27 hours. It was the Wasatch 100. So definitely not like an easy 100 miler for your first one. Um, but yeah, I was just hooked, even though it was so incredibly hard. Do you remember the starting line? Um, I do. What was going through your head? It actually was not fear and it wasn't trepidation. It was actually like excitement. I'm like a true optimist, by the way. Like, as you get to know me better, I'm like always an optimist. Not surprising. Um, so I'm oh, I'm like in the start line. I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, this is going to be so fun. Like, I wonder what's going to happen today. Like, I'm excited to see my friends who are going to pace me. Like, I'm excited for this adventure. Like, that was what was running through my head. So the race starts, you see your first pacer, and you hit your first low point. What was that like? Um... Yeah, I got my first pacer at the 50K mark. And I remember it was incredibly hot that day. And 
I just remember hiking a lot right after I got my pacer. I remember feeling bad because I, I was like, I'm sorry I'm walking because I know you probably want to run. But I remember just like having a really good conversation. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember feeling like really supported and I really liked the company. And I remember it was a really nice distraction from, you know, the temporary pain that I was feeling. And I just remember the miles really like clicked by at that point. So 70 miles later, you finish. <laughs> what's, <apparently, laughs> what's that like? Um, I remember that night was so tough. I, re- I remember I was so sleep deprived. I was so tired. I remember like hallucinating. It was like a blur. It was really a blur that night. And then I remember when the sun came up, like all this energy came back. I was like, I'm a new person. I'm like coming out of the the caves of darkness. And I remember the last few miles of the Wasatch 100, you run along a reservoir and then you kind of like come back into Midway and like finish in a grass field. And I remember like running um, like the last couple miles with my, my pacer. And I remember just like feeling so much energy from the sun because it was morning time. And I remember just like the sense of joy of like seeing the finish line and then like seeing all of my friends that had like crewed me over the past 27 hours. It was just like a really cool reunion of like everyone that I saw and like the shit that I went through <laughs> the 27 hours. But like when I finished, like all of that pain like wasn't really remembered. I like really remembered the the feeling of like accomplishment and like the feeling of like satisfaction in that moment. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's, and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, one word, will contribute towards this donation. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye-opening, and I'm excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states? Don't fret, my parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business, and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar, and I'm sure you will too. Revel Race Series is an incredibly fast and remarkably beautiful series of full and half marathons that take place in the most scenic U.S. locations. All the races feature a fast downhill slope and spectacular scenery. Their next race takes runners from the canyons of the Wasatch Mountains to the foothills of Salt Lake City, Utah on September 10th for the 10-year anniversary of Revel Big Cottonwood. Featuring a speedy downhill slope and spectacular scenery, this race will be sure to help you set your PR and finally hit that BQ time as it's the fastest marathon and half marathon in the state of Utah. Register at runrevel.com with code FTLR for $10 off until July 31st. Thanks again to Gooder for supporting this episode. I have a few different styles of shades and I've been loving them on runs or while at the pool. At 25 bucks a pop, you can leave a pair in your car so that you'll never be without some shades. You can feel good about your purchase too, as 1% of Gooder's annual gross sales, not profits, go directly to environmental nonprofits working towards making our world a better place. If you'd like to support me in the show, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooder's and head over to gooder.com and get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off at G-O-O-D-R.com with the code F-T-L-R. Your face will thank you. It's funny you mentioned, mentioned the hallucinations. I paced our mutual friend, Kelly Young, 
Uh-huh. And uh, I love she Kelly. talked to, she, she's incredible. She just got back to Boulder and I can't wait to see her. Um, we had a, an incredible conversation on this podcast. That was one of my favorites last summer. Anyway, she, she saw in Indiana Jones. <laughs> Talk about hallucinations. <laughs> she saw Indiana Jones. Yeah, I don't know what I would think or do if I saw Indiana Jones in the woods. <laughs> I was like, Kelly, eat something. Just have more chews. <laughs> We were we we're, were choosing climbing. caffeine. You're fine. Yeah, we were climbing like a four thousand foot climb over four miles, and mile three of it, she was like, "Do you see the guy in the hat?" <laughs> it's like, "Uh oh, <laughs> sit down and eat this." Um, what a weird, what a weird thing we do. <laughs> it was so weird. So you you finished the race. Did it feel like you unlocked something? Yes, in the sense that I had such an appetite for more, and. It wasn't so much the appetite for racing. It was more of like the appetite of if this is what I can learn in like one 100 mile race, like what is it that I can learn if I do 10 of them? What is it if that I can learn from doing a 200 mile race? Like what can I learn by like my mind just started like thinking about like what are the opportunities of like who can I become and like unlock more by like doing this more because such like a beautiful part was like revealed after this race of like, wow, I feel like I feel so empowered. I feel comfortable in my skin. I feel in my element when I'm in the outdoors. And I just like was excited to explore more of that. So I think that was truly like what I was excited about next. You mentioned who you could become, what you could learn. Did you have an idea of what that was or were you more curious about like the curiosity of like what's behind the corner. Yeah, I don't think there's like anyone that can think of, oh, I know exactly what is it that I'm going to learn. It was truly like the unknown. And I think that's what's appealing about the 100 mile distance in particular. I mean, all ultra marathons have this element, but especially 100 mile races where there's such an unknown factor of I don't know what's going to happen today, but it's going to be epic. <laughs> and I'm like excited to see like what happens and how do I troubleshoot in like those moments when it's tough and like what what is it that I'm going to take away from this experience? It was like that whole experience of I guess to your point curiosity of like what's going to happen. I love it. So when I went to Western States for the first time in 2018, ultras were new-ish to me. I mean, I was introduced to the concept in like 2015 by Mike Wardian when I met him. And then he introduced me to Devin Yanko. And then I sort of like fell down the rabbit hole. Um, so <laughs> Which I get tends to, to happen to most well, people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> especially with those two. Um, so I get to Tahoe in 2018 and I'm sitting in Coffee Bar, which is a phenomenal place to be. And I'm just asking people like, what are you, like, Why? <laughs> I didn't have this podcast yet, but I was curious about why people were doing this. And one guy said, because it's not a 5K. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what does and that then, mean? Well, because he was like, I don't have to hurt that bad. And I was like, dude, you're going to run for 24 hours. At some point, it's going to hurt. But you're not at you know your max capacity of mm-hmm. speed. Anyway, another answer has stuck with me to this day. And I really understood it this past Monday. I really finally understood it this past Monday. So the guy said something along the lines of like, I get to be outside all day and I get to be in nature and feel so small all day. And it really puts things in perspective. And I didn't really understand what that meant until I spent 12 hours meandering around the four pass loop out here in Colorado where Basically, just picture the most incredible view and stretch that out over 12 hours or 27 miles. And that's what that was. And there was no cell service. Nothing else mattered in that moment besides moving forward, eating, and being with friends, which are like (laughs) the best things in life. And it's not an escape. I don't feel like it's an escape. It's like you said, it's like this is truly living your best life in that moment. And What I kept saying was, it's incredible that so many people have not or will never experience something this incredible. And so it's like a privilege that we get to be out there and do these incredible things and let's share them and inspire other people to do them. And like, 
make it known like how incredible this world is because there's so much shit out there and so many so much hate mm-hmm. and when you set off on something like this none of that matters for for a few moments i feel like there's um an element of sense of wonder and awe which is has a factor of being humbled and a factor of maybe like forgetting a bit more about your pride and thinking about like bigger pictures, which is like the world and nature and, you know, allowing more introspection. I think like those things naturally come from being in like an outdoor environment. And also, isn't it weird to think that being outside and having access to being outside is a privilege because we literally came from living in the outdoors, like our ancestors, like we're hunters and gatherers. And like now it's like difficult for us to get in the outdoors. So it's just funny to me because it's like, I really believe like our beings and like who we are as like a a species like belongs in the outdoors. And like, I think that's why runners like it's addictive because we like love or hikers or backpackers. There's like the sense of like we are connected to or the outdoors and like nature. And like, we've lost that. (laughs) We've like lost that as a community. (laughs) I'm trying to steer a a research project around spending more time in nature, specifically through trail running related to blood biomarkers, like Mm. health. And I have a hypothesis and I'm sure that everyone listening knows what it is. And I really want to prove it with, with data to basically be able to say like, spend more time in nature. It's good for you. There, there are lots of studies I think there actually are a lot of studies that that suggest that, but yeah, I, I definitely feel the same way. Um, one of the feelings that I had on this adventure was pretty line with what you were just talking about. It was going up the fourth and final pass, and my friend Becky was just up ahead, and she was struggling with the altitude, and we had been out for like 10 hours at that time. And she just looks back at me struggling behind her and is like, we're here by choice. (laughs) And I was like, fucking right, we're here by choice. We're choosing to climb this stupid pass and get up to this really high spot, which has incredible views by choice. And I tend to do this thing when I'm like in a world of hurt, which is take my phone out and talk to it. Because I like to like capture- like take notes or to what exactly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To basically capture like how I'm feeling in these low moments so that I can look back on it, but also like what's going through my head when things get hard, right? Mm. That's the whole reason I started this podcast to understand what happens when things get hard and what can we learn from people who are conventionally and subjectively successful. And so in that moment, (laughs) I was like, and here's where I'm glad that I've done 200 podcast episodes (laughs) of asking people why they do dumb shit. (laughs) And The conclusion that I came to in my calorically deprived brain was we do these hard things because, or at least I do these hard things because it makes everything else in life a little more tolerable, right? If you can struggle through something that's physically and mentally challenging, the challenges at work get a little more tolerable and manageable and the relationships get a little more manageable and I don't know. I just find that, to me, that's been one of the most helpful parts that like a lot of people live very comfortable lives. We have roofs over our head. We have food on our table. This is, of course, a privilege, but it's like a privilege for many people that exists. And life isn't that hard compared to like being afraid of mountain lions when you're trying to get your food. We talk about hunters and gatherers. So I think this kind of stuff helps. And to me, it's crazy that some people will will never experience it. Yeah. I guess to your point, is it like the sense of resilience that you obtain yeah. through challenges that you experience? Is that kind of like what you're getting at? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. I, I remember I was on Dylan Bowman's podcast a few weeks ago. I've been on his podcast twice. And something that we both like really resonated with is the fact that we both like started ultra running very young in like our early 20s. And there is like a sense of you can't just like show up and 
and say like, oh, I'm going to win Western States or I'm just going to win Hard Rock or I'm going to win UTMB. There is truly like a level of you just have to experience a lot in terms of running and racing. And there's just like a lot of experience you need before you can like be successful. And that's not true for everyone because as we know, there's a lot of talented athletes that has show up and just like fucking crush. But I would say for the general public, you and me. and But listeners. even them, they're like an overnight success in 10 years. Yes, yeah. Well, my point is the fact that I have done a lot of racing and I've done a lot of ultras and I've not been fast in them. Like my 100 mile races times were consistently over 24 hours and now my PR is under 13. Um, so it's just like a lot of learning and context you have to develop through experience that I think is foundational in order to be successful. And I think that like there's like a level of resilience to your point earlier that like you need to unlock in order to be successful in like some of these difficult situations. Um, at least that's my opinion. So you mentioned success a handful of times. I'm curious what success means to you. This is such a hard question because there's so many different levels of success, I would say, because there's success depending on the expectations that you have on yourself. There's the level of success based on the expectations from an outsider or a third party. And there's just different like categories of success. So I would say right now, how I'm defining success is a growth. It's not so much like a milestone, but more of like, where have I come and where have I gone? And if I see movement and if I see progress in my life or in my athletic career or in my influence with like brands to make impact, like that is how I'm defining success right now, I would say. Have you thought about the fact that you, you control that outcome? No, but that's an interesting point. Right? You'd like, you didn't say win Western states or something tangible. It was super subjective. Yeah. Well, I just know that when it comes to like goal making, it needs to be something that is like truly within your control. Because if you set this expectation of, oh, I'm going to get a million, I'm going to, my salary is going to be a million dollars by the time I'm 40. Like that is so arbitrary. Like what does that even mean? And like why? And you can't control that sometimes. But rather like uh, a goal of, I want to be super satisfied in my career and I want to be financially independent and comfortable. Like that is a whole different perspective and goal that you can control versus like an arbitrary outcome. Totally. Yeah, I find that how people define success to be fairly correlated with uh, both happiness and what they're able to actually achieve. Yeah, totally. Uh, such a weird world of goal setting. <laughs> Do you set goals? Um. I set goals in the same way that you set goals. Okay. And prior to that, my my like North Star was break three hours in the marathon, which is a totally arbitrary thing. Like somebody decided that a marathon is 26.2 miles and somebody decided that the like thing to do is run sub three in it. Do you think that was because of the Boston Marathon qualifying time? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it took me four years to to get that goal. And... I didn't get the goal until I disassociated from disassociated the goal from the process. Mm. I showed up on the start line happy to celebrate versus ready to test myself. And I had four prior attempts where it was a test and I failed. And I didn't learn from it until I kept failing and failing and failing. And I think that that background and that ex that lived experience is really, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world and really influences like how I think about running and how I think about how other people think about running. And I don't know, it's like a huge difference between the road and the trail scene mm -hmm. where it's metric, metric, metric versus let's go play in the mountains. And mm -hmm. I dabble in both and I really love marathons and I you know, want to run 255 or something. But again, that's completely arbitrary. And I also, like my goal, if you ask me my goal for the summer, for example, the answer was be able to say yes to anything with three to five days notice so that I could cancel that week's workout. 
<laughs> and I I was successful in that goal. Like four pass loop came up, you know, three weeks in advance. Um, when I was out in Tahoe, a buddy of mine asked if I wanted to run from Palisades to to Donner Lake with like, I don't know, three days notice. And I was able to, like, I just did that on a Wednesday and it took four and a half hours. And like, I wasn't training for that. It wasn't like something that was on my calendar. Whereas if you had asked me five years ago, what's my goal? It's run 259 in the marathon. And that's my barometer of success. Mm. And a lot of that was like the people I was around and what they were all doing. And this very like hyper successful and competitive group of athletes. And I, it like pushed me to be better, but I'm, uh, it's so fascinating how tangible versus non-tangible goals actually affect the process and more importantly, the outcome. And that's also so sustainable, Jonathan, right? Like you're going to be a lifelong trail runner because it seems like your motivation is to have fun in the mountains with friends and to be with community and to, you know, have epic adventures. And I think if like your motivation was, okay, I got to like hit this time on this workout and I have to get to this threshold on this, you know what I mean? Like if that's your motivation, thank you. (laughs) I was trying to mimic someone who would be like very, you know, anal about the training piece. Yeah, (laughs) me. (laughs) But there's a Ryan voice, got it. Yeah, that's a Ryan voice. Uh, But if like that's how you're showing up every day, you're not going to be an athlete and you're not going to be showing up in five years. And I think, I mean, you follow our sport. There's like so many athletes that have been crushing it in their 20s that are no longer competing because they're burnt out because of the amount of stress that they put on themselves in order to hit those metrics and to hit those very arbitrary goals. Not to say that those are bad. They can be motivating. But if that's like your sole purpose for your existence as an athlete, then... I think that's a danger zone for burnout. It's interesting. There was a poll taken of Olympic athletes and it was something along the lines of like, if if you knew you would die within a year after winning gold, mm-hmm. would you do it? And like an overwhelming number of them said yes. They would still do it. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Like, I don't know so, what that wait, means, let, but... let me understand the question. So like, the fact that they like have spent all of this time getting to this gold medal, and if they knew that they were going to die a year later, they still would have done all the same things. Yep. To get the gold medal. So it's so fascinating, right? Because these people dedicate their lives to a single outcome, right? I had an interesting conversation with Gwen Jorgensen on a similar topic. She's won an Olympic gold medal. And so I've had a lot of conversations with successful athletes, but few like at that level. And it's, it was so fascinating. I, I like go back and listen to that one sometimes because it's so fascinating to hear someone who like from a young age was singularly focused on an outcome and then achieved it. Most people don't. And then yeah. she said she was afraid of not failure, but success. Like what happens, what happens next? So... This is probably unpopular opinion, but I have this hypothesis and this opinion that if you're asking those athletes in the moment when their whole world is, you know, going to the Olympics, getting a gold medal or to win Western States um, or win UTMB, of course, they're going to say that in a poll because I think there's a bias at play, in my opinion. I think that that poll is extremely biased because if you're asking me, like two weeks before Western States or the week after I win Western States, let's say I win it. And of course, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm like so satisfied because I'm getting all of this validation from brands, from the public that, you know, this is amazing of what I was able to accomplish. But I think it would be interesting to ask that poll, you know, mid-career after they're retired, if they would still say the same thing, because I think there's a bias at play. Yeah, I think we need to uh, institute a follow-up poll. Yeah. Um, so switching gears a, uh, a lot. <laughs> um, another topic I, I like to talk about is community. You've talked a lot about it uh, over this conversation. We're involved in many similar communities with Sunto and trail running in general and, and whatnot. Um, what does community mean to you? Like, how would Ryan define community? So community is. 
Community is, I would say, a network of individuals that have shared value. A group of people with shared values. And I say that because shared values, I think, is key in that definition of how I think about community. Because I've been a part of a lot of groups and clubs and organizations where I have not had shared values with them. And I don't think that is community even though they might be nice and they might help you or there's other values of that group. But I don't think that is community because they don't share like the same, you know, perspectives of what is valuable in life and existence essentially. So has that definition evolved over time for you? Yeah. Like growing up in, you know, I grew up, you know, LDS Mormon and, when I was younger growing up, I would say that, you know, my my church that I went to would be my community. In retrospect, no way. Because it was kind of like a a forced upon, like I just grew up in this group of people and like naturally they just became my community. But I think when I started thinking about my own opinions and ideas, like, do I still think that group was my community? No way. Like for sure not. Because that didn't value other parts of who I am. And so there's like a conflict of values and goals. And so I think like as I've just learned more about life and about the importance of like living authentically, I think I've changed my definition of community for sure. On that note, what what would Ryan of 2022 say to young teenage Ryan? <sighs> I would say... It's so hard because I want to say to that old that old Ryan that like, hey, go out and like go explore and like find other people with, you know, conflicting opinions because you might learn that those are yours too. But it's like so hard to say that when you actually don't have means to accomplish that. It's so hard. It's it's so, so, so hard to and this is like why I'm so passionate about, you know especially LGBTQ plus like inclusion and equity and diversion is because you can say that, you know, queer youth are inclusive, but like they don't have resources available to them. I just finished, um, sorry, I'm going down this tangent, but I just finished reviewing a hundred applications for this LGBTQ running retreat. And the stories I've heard of these people where, you know, queer identifying people living all across the country that have the shared value of running and them telling me that they've never like had a queer running partner or they've never had a friend who identifies like them or they feel like they can't be themselves in their local communities. Again, community. Like maybe they actually aren't part of community. They just live in a freaking town because that's, you know, like, is that truly their community? I don't think so. And so I'm just reading these stories and I'm just like, it's hard to say to like, hey, Ryan that lived in small town America growing up. I wish you would find community because I don't think that was possible for Ryan back then. And so I'm not answering your question fully because I don't know what the answer is, but that's why I'm just so grateful right now for like what I'm doing and what I'm hoping to accomplish for people because I'm like hopefully giving community to people that really, really need it because that's what I wanted when I was younger. Very cool. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people and the summary seems to be everyone just wants to feel connected to yeah. something or someone or accepted and feel like they belong. Um, and so it definitely feels like that's, that's the outcome of, of what you're doing, which is, which is very cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's a, on a small scale, but you know, any, you know, every person is a real life in like real feelings. So yeah, it feels good even though you can make impact in one person's life. There's a um, Jewish idiom that says it's related to the Holocaust. Um, and it says, save one life, save a world entire. Mm. And this came up in a conversation I had with Joe Holder. And I made a comment about his large audience or platform on Instagram. I was like, man, isn't it cool that you can you know, impact almost 200,000 people? He's like, I don't care. If I can impact one person, I've done my job. I love that. I mean, think about the ripple effects. like. You know, it's easy to think about the numbers in a short-term sense, but you know, just affecting one person has such a ripple effect. I mean, I've seen that, and I'm sure you've seen that. So 
Yeah, I think that's satisfying. And I love that idiom. That's so true. For sure. So um, if people want to follow along with you and your adventures and maybe help contribute to all the cool things you're doing, uh, where can they find you in your corner of the internet? Yeah, I am um, most active on Instagram. Um, I try to look at messages. I'm not always the best because there's always seems like there's and never any messages, but you can reach out to me on Instagram. It's uh, at ultra.ryan. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to find me and follow me and connect with me. Awesome. Ryan, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and uh, we'll see you out there. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 